0: So, as we've heard a couple of times already this morning, this morning is the first Sunday in the season of Lent. And this is the time of the year when Christians around the world, not just we here at South Meridian, but literally all over the world, Christian people are gathering together in this season and walking slowly together toward the cross. This is a time of the year in which Christians set, set aside to, to deeply consider the meaning and the power of the cross in our lives. And this year, we have a theme that we're going we're to call this season, we're going to call this theme, The Inconvenient Cross. What we're going to be asking you to do during this season is, is, in much the same way that a connoisseur of art might walk around a piece of a beautiful painting and observe it from many different angles and allow its different meanings to begin to seep into them, This season, we're going to ask you to to look upon the cross in the same way, to look at it from every imaginable angle, to take it into your heart and in your mind, and and to discover the many, many layers, powerful layers of the meaning of the cross in our lives. We're going to find that the cross is inconvenient, to say the least, and uh, I'm going to ask you to just put a dot, dot, dot behind that, as you'll see more of that as the weeks go on. And our season of Lent begins this morning with scripture reading in which Jesus is issuing a warning to all disciples of every day. Jesus is issuing a warning. When you do your acts of righteousness, the many things that you do to live out your righteousness, your concern for the poor, your walking with the brokenhearted, your many ways of making the love of God known, Jesus says, when you do your acts of righteousness... Don't do them in order to be seen by others. If you do, says Jesus, that will be your full reward. That's all there is. Rather, he says, when you do your acts of righteousness, do them secretly, quietly, before your heavenly Father only. And your heavenly Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Here's the warning of Jesus. And apparently, he really meant it because he gives it not only one time, he gives it three different times. Did you notice in this reading of Scripture, three different times? He goes on to say, when you pray, don't draw attention to yourself by the manner and the place in which you pray. Don't stand on the street corners with your hands up. Don't stand up in the synagogue and pray in such a way that announces to everybody in the world that you're praying. No, 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 says Jesus. If you do that you will have received your full reward. That's all there is. Rather, when you pray, Jesus says, go to a quiet place and pray before your Father in heaven who knows and sees in secret, and your Father in heaven, he will repay you. There's a third time, Jesus says. When you fast, in the Jewish world of Jesus, people would have fasted two times a week. They would have gone without food for a season, for a period of time, two times a week. Jesus says, when you fast, don't go to a public place and make yourself look all contorted and uncomfortable. Don't moan and groan as though to announce, 'Ah, I want everybody to know how miserable I am for God. Jesus says, if you do that, the praise of people will be your only reward. That's all there is. That's all there is. Don't do that. Rather, when you fast, fast in private, And your Father who knows all things in secret, your Father in heaven, will reward you. Three different times, Jesus warns his followers not to their acts of piety and their prayers and their fasting in a public way, because if they do, the reward that they get of the people who who express their appreciation to them, that's all there is. That's all there is. But it makes you wonder why. Why in the world was this Things so important to to Jesus speaking with his disciples that he went over it not once, not twice, but three different times. Why in the world was this so important? Well, one thing that we know is that in the teaching and preaching of Jesus, motive mattered. Motive really, really mattered. Again and again, if you ever noticed this, again and again and again, Jesus instructs his disciples in such a way as to remind them that it's not just the outer things that can be seen, but it's the motive, it's what comes from the heart that's really, 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 really important. Do you remember some of those times when he confronted some of the religious re- leaders? One day Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees, you people are like a bunch of whitewashed tombs, he said. On the outside, you're all cleaned up and washed up, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. I'm not sure. I don't think that was a compliment. Jesus was interested in motive again and again and again. Don't just wash the outside of the cup, he said. "Don't Don't just clean up the outside of the cup, the part that people see. Clean out the inside of the cup, too. Jesus was always interested in motives. It wasn't just the legalistic keeping of the law. You know, Jesus, Jesus quoted from the scripture. He said, um, you know that the eye says that the law says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That is, in terms of the externals, you're to guard yourself from giving punishments to people greater than the punishment that they give to you. But Jesus goes right to the heart of it when he says, it won't be so with you. You, 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 you are to learn to love your enemies and pray for them. It, Jesus was constantly about motives. But, I have to press the question further. Why? Why was that so important to him? And one of the answers you begin to pick up on as you read this passage of Scripture very, very carefully. Did you notice this? One of the things you pick up on is rewards. Jesus is teaching his disciples that they shouldn't be doing their acts of righteousness in public and they're praying in public and they shouldn't be doing their fasting to be noticed by people because if they do, the reward that they get, the reward that they get will be the praise of people and that's all there is. And Jesus says, on the other hand, if you do your acts of righteousness where only God can see, and where you do your praying where only God can see, and where you do your fasting so that only God will know, then God is the one who will reward you. Jesus is talking in this passage about rewards. He's talking about the difference in being rewarded by people and being rewarded by God. And it gets you wondering, what in the world are the rewards that he's talking about? When Jesus talks about God giving rewards, it makes you wonder, what's he talking about? my mind immediately flits to uh, images that I've always been told to imagine. You know, like, uh, like, like the, the streets that are paved with gold in heaven and, and, and all of the jewels that will decorate our crowns one day. And, and I can't help but wonder if that's what Jesus is talking about. Although I have to tell you, I personally don't get that excited about streets paved with gold and cl- crowns with jewels and I'd get a little bit more excited if I heard that the Eagles, God's favorite rock band, were doing a, a, a residency in heaven. Now, that would excite me. That would excite me. Although, i got to say, listening to our worship band this morning, I get pretty excited thinking that they might be with us all the way through. What's the reward that he's speaking about here? I wonder if there's a little bit of you that gets uncomfortable with this conversation. With Jesus talking about rewards... After all, Jesus is announcing that on the one side, if you do your acts of piety and your prayers and your fasting in front of people, there is a reward that comes from that, the praise of people. But he's announcing that's all there is. The clear implication is that the rewards that come from God are bigger and better and more impressive. And I wonder if there's a little piece of you that gets uncomfortable with this. I wonder if there's a little piece of you that wonders if this is a little bit like. Um, have you ever heard of the headhunters? The, the the people who who go out to find people. They're hired by a company to go out and hire people from other companies, to work for them rather than for the company that they're per- currently working for. And so these headhunters will go out and they'll find people that are working for jobs where they're making, let's say, sixty thousand dollars a year, and they'll go to these people and say, "Hey." If you'll be willing to leave your job and come work with us, we'll double your pay. We'll pay you $120,000 instead of your mere success. I wonder if there's a part of you that feels like that's what God is doing in this story. God is announcing, through Jesus, God is announcing, if you think the rewards that you get now are good for doing your acts of piety and your praying and your fasting, imagine what you can do if you go to work for God. And God gives you a bigger reward. I wonder if there's a piece of you that feels like this is, this is just God doing a little bit of, of head hunting, if you will. Lord knows the disciples of Jesus heard it that way occasionally. Do you remember those times when, uh, when they would have arguments with one another about which one of them was the greatest? You know what was going on there. They, they were posturing themselves to receive the greatest rewards from God. There's one time when it's explicitly done. There, you remember the time when James and John went to, went to Jesus? I'm sorry, the mother of James and John went to Jesus. Those of you who think, by the way, that helicopter parents live only in the 21st century, they, they were existent way back then as well. The mother of James and John, two of the disciples of Jesus, the mother went to Jesus one day and said, Hey, would there be any chance that my boys could sit at your right hand and your left hand in the kingdom of heaven? They sit right there with you, Jesus, close to you. And you see what's going on there is the mother of James and John is posturing to find out if she could get her sons to get the greatest possible reward seated at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus. There was an old, uh, an old joke that goes something like this. A whole bunch of people died at the same time. They all came to the pearly gates in the same moment from all over different places in the world. They all arrived at the pearly gates at the same time. They could see St. Peter up ahead standing at the entrance of the pearly gates and they started racing as fast as they could go, racing toward the pearly gates. And they were shouting as they went, as they could see the beauty beyond the pearly gates, they were shouting, I'm first, I'm first, I'm first. But as they got there, St. Peter said, wait, 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 wait. Jesus said in the kingdom of God, The last will be first, and the first will be last. And They stood there for a moment until they turned around and started running the other direction, shouting, I'm last! I'm last! I'm last! It's been part of the motive of Christian people for ages to find out who could get the greatest reward. And it seems as though Jesus is feeding into that narrative in this passage of Scripture. Don't don't do these things to be noticed by people. If you do... That's all there is. But if you do it unto God, your Father who is in heaven will reward you. And it seems as though God, that Jesus, is confirming this narrative that God gives bigger gifts. Well, as always, it's important to read this passage of Scripture in context. That is to say, to notice what comes before it and what comes after it, and to to just notice where it is within the Scripture. It's important to remember that this passage of Scripture takes place in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. This is a long red-letter section, meaning the words of Jesus. This is a long section in which Jesus is teaching his disciples on the Mount, and the subject of the Sermon on the Mount is what it is to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. All of this is Jesus' instructions to his disciples about what it means to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. That is to say, not first and foremost as a citizen of Israel, not first and foremost as a citizen of Rome, not first and foremost as a citizen of the United States of America. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is about what it is to live first and foremost as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to remember Whenever Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God, he's not talking about a place. It's not not this little hamlet just outside of Alexandria. Jesus is talking about an occasion, a time. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about a time. He's talking about the time when God's will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. And this time has arrived in the person of Jesus, The time of God's reign has arrived in his person. And disciples who are walking with and observing him and listening to him, they're they're seeing the kingdom of God emerge on earth as it is in heaven. This, This whole passage of scripture is about the time in which God's reign is taking place on earth as it is in heaven. And then, I want you to notice a little detail within this passage, a little tiny detail that you might overlook if if you're not looking very carefully. Did you notice that when Jesus talked about the rewards that are given by God, he put it this way. When you do your acts of of charity, do them in quietness and, and in a place where no one will see, do them to God only because your Father, your Father, did you notice that? Your Father who is in heaven Will see you and reward you. Here's what we need to remember we need to remember that the Jewish community didn't talk like that. We need to remember that it was an extraordinarily rare thing for, for, for Jewish people of Jesus' day to speak of God as Father. We need to remember that though there are a handful of occasions when this happens in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, For the most part, when God is spoken of in the Old Testament of Scripture, God is spoken of as as Elohim, God Almighty. God is spoken of as as Yahweh, the, the Redeemer of the world. But in the time of Jesus, the name of God, Yahweh, was considered so holy that people wouldn't even speak it. Did you know that when they read the scriptures, when they even and even to this day, when they read the scriptures, when it comes across the word Yahweh in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, the Jewish rabbis would say instead instead of saying Yahweh, they would say Lord, because the name of God regarded as so holy, they wouldn't even speak it. And here's Jesus describing to his disciples how God, the eternal God, the transcendent God, the God who is so holy that they wouldn't even speak God's name is their father. One more note about context. These three little warnings that Jesus issues, they're they're actually broken up in Matthew chapter 6 by instructions about prayer when Jesus instructs his disciples and says to them, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know it, don't you? You know the words. And almost every scholar today is in agreement that when Jesus said, our Father, In these words. Underlying that was the Aramaic word that he, the language that Jesus spoke every day, Aramaic. Underlying that was the Aramaic word Abba, which really shouldn't even be translated as father, because it is the intimate language of of an infant first learning to address their dad, their papa, their daddy. Abba is equivalent of daddy in our world. And Jesus, Jesus would have been using this word when he said, do your works of righteousness and your praying and your fasting quietly and silently because your Abba, your heavenly Abba, sees you and rewards you. Guess what? The reward for your piety and the reward for your praying and the reward for your fasting, the reward is God. God is your reward. To know God and to know the love of God and to be in the love of God and to be embraced by the love of God and to be known by the love of God and to do the will of God, the reward that is granted to those who do their acts of charity and their praying and their fasting in private and quietness, the reward is God. Friends, one second of yieldedness to the love of God made known in Jesus Christ is greater than a thousand years of the adulation of other people. One second of doing the will of God is greater and better than a million years of all of the gifts of the entire planet that could be bestowed to you. The treasure that is granted to you who do your works of service, and your praying, and your fasting in secret is God. You get to know God. Oh, I think over the years, we've complicated it so much. We've spoken so much about the value of all of the gifts that God gives to us, but in the ministry of Jesus, there is nothing that even compares with the benefit and value of being in and before, and yielded to, the love of God that Jesus Christ makes known. I remember being privy to a conversation between two people a number of years ago. One of them was talking about a a, a way in which he had started uh, supporting a child through a program very much like Children of Promise. This person was talking about how he he had started supporting a program, sponsoring a child, and the person with whom he was speaking was listening to him listening to him talk about it and after a moment the person he was speaking to said, "Wow. That's beautiful. God's really going to reward you for that." To which the first person said, "I don't know about that. I kind of feel like getting to do it is the reward itself." We are the recipients of the glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is God the Redeemer, God the Holy One, God who is above all and over all and in all, who is known as Lord and Elohim, God who is over and above all things, has made himself known to you and me. And we get to cry out, Abba, Father. The glorious news of the gospel is that we live our lives in God in whom we live and move and have our being. And there is no gift on the entire planet that comes anywhere close to living in that love. And the greatest honoring of our lives, the greatest imaginable honoring of our lives, is we get to join our lives to the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven. And with our dying breath, friends, with our dying breath, I am certain there will be nothing that will have greater meaning or purpose or value in our lives than when we get to look back on our lives and say, I think I was joined to God's will being done in much of that story, and that is the greatest reward I could ever possibly imagine. Good news. Good news. Listen, if you want to do your deeds of charity and your praying and your your fasting in such a way as to be noticed by others, that's all there is. That's all there is. But if you want to do them before God and to God and in God and with God and by God's power, friends, that's all that there is. That's all there is.